If you're not walking arm in arm with Jesus, you're not following him. If he's only 10 steps in front of you, you're too far behind. If he's so far in front of you, you can barely see him, you're in trouble. And there's sermons for you. Some of us think we're on the straight, narrow highway, but we're not. We're on the access road. We can see the highway from here, but we haven't been able to figure out where the on-ramp is. If that's you, the sermon's for you. Some of you are on the straight and narrow highway, but you've run out of gas. You've pulled off onto the shoulder and you're waving for help. The sermon's for you. Some of you are chasing after Jesus with every fiber of your being. You're running so hard and fast you can't hear Jesus saying, slow down so I can catch you. You're getting ahead of me. You've got this all wrong. I lead, you follow. This sermon is for you. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, remind us that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's not a destination. It's a journey. One you intend that we enjoy. This highway we're on is fraught with danger. We see wreckage on every side. Give us your peace, your strength, your courage. Go before us, protect us on every side, guard us from every evil. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Open our ears this morning to hear every word you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon this morning is Old Clothes and New Wine. The text is from Matthew 9, Hebrews chapter 2, and Romans 6. Slide one, please. Matthew chapter 9. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. 
new wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. Think on that. So that both are preserved. The wine of the Holy Spirit preserves your spirit. Your life contains the wine of the Holy Spirit. The wine of the Holy Spirit in your life must be poured out. The pouring out of your life to others is what preserves the Holy Spirit's witness in your life. Both are preserved. What else is Jesus saying here? He's saying you can't pour the new wine of His Spirit into a sin-dead life without that sin-dead life exploding. And that's a wonderful thing when an old sin-dead life explodes into new creation. Has your life exploded into new creation lately? If not, trade in your wineskin. But old clothes receiving a patch with new cloth can also be applied to the pressures of living in a family that does not share your faith. Chances are you have family members, maybe even those in your own house who do not share your theology of Christ. They do not believe like you do that he came to this earth to save all people. You may have family members who have allowed themselves to be inoculated against Jesus. They've been fed just enough lies about who he is that they have developed a total resistance to him. But when your own family turns against you because you've decided to follow Jesus, that's hard. That's very hard. I've been there. I've been maligned by my own family for my commitment to Christ. I've had to go to church by myself. I've lived with a wife who said, the children are staying home with me. We don't need church. Certainly not the one you go to. And maybe God has called you to ministry, but he didn't call me. So if you must stand on that hill and fight the fight all alone, are you willing to do that? Will you make that sacrifice? It will be very difficult, but God is greater. When your own family mocks your commitment to Christ, how do you handle it? with grace. God's grace. You seek it, you find it, you live in it. We live in a culture where God and sin has been redefined. In fact, sin has been omitted from its vocabulary. And God is whoever or whatever you want him to be. I was in a recent chat room with friends and the discussion turned to sin. One person said, I've never sinned. I've never done anything God didn't make me do. 
I quoted him from the epistle of James. God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. To which he replied, yeah, okay, but I've never sinned. Then I quoted him 1 John. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. I asked him, do you really want to call God a liar? He hung up. If you try to argue with God, you make yourself a fool. But today's culture won't even debate sin with you, especially sexual sin, more especially LGBTQ. If you even bring up the subject, you're a homophobe. You're a hater. At its root, New Age thinking, is just existentialism wrapped in new packaging. It's a God-denying philosophy that says you can develop your own character, your own self-sufficiency as an act of self-will. In yourself and of yourself. You don't need God. Nietzsche has been dead for well over a hundred years and his ideology is alive and well. We not only excuse me, <clears throat> live in an amoral society, we live in an amoral world. This world says you're not immoral if you totally dismiss right and wrong. If there is no right and wrong, how can you be immoral? If you dismiss right and wrong, you're not just immoral. You're a sociopath. Amoral means you don't believe in right and wrong. Immoral means you believe certain things are wrong, but you do them anyway. Present day culture says sin is subjective. It's a matter of perception. If you don't believe there's such a thing as sin, then sin does not exist. There's an old saying about existentialism. The existentialist will emphatically deny the elephant in the room until it sits on him. But if there's no sin, how do you explain the global evils such as genocide, war, human trafficking? Or here in America, 656 mass shootings this past year. Or what do you say about transgender suicides that are more than six times the national average? 42,987 gun violence deaths. But that's not sin. In March, this congregation will send representatives to the Cumberland Presbytery in San Francisco to determine how the Presbytery will vote on current amendments to the church's constitution. These amendments are intended to prevent gay parishioners from holding any leadership positions in the local church or the denomination at large. In other words, there's a remnant of Cumberlands who want to allow parishioners who are involved in homosexuality to be ordained as elders, deacons, and even pastors. Why would this shock us? 
Every major Protestant denomination is dealing with this very same thing. But the issue is really very simple, at least in light of God's word. Slide two, please. Romans 6.1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? How can we continue to live in sin if we've died to it? Of course, our culture says, oh, that's easy. Don't call it sin. And the apostate churches who have caved to all this say, God forgives sin. God forgives all sin. Does he? Does God forgive unrepentant sin? Read your scriptures. He does not. Better get your doctrine and theology straight. We all have family members who are caught up in LGBTQ. They may be third cousins, but we have someone in our family caught up in gay pride. Anybody can call themselves a Christian as long as you ignore God's word. If you try to justify your sins or those of others, and know this, only God can make justification for sin. But if you try, it's above your pay grade. And if you try to justify your sin or someone else's, are you truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you what St. Paul calls a carnal Christian? 1 Corinthians 2.14. And what's a carnal Christian? A Christian who refuses to leave their sin and condones the sins of others. This is a Christian who practices what we call cheap grace. Someone who says God forgives all sin regardless of whether you're repentant or not. Isaiah 30, 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. If your concept of a holy God is the great bobblehead in the sky who constantly says, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. There is no such God. Holiness is kinetic. Think on that a moment. Holiness is kinetic. If you want holiness, you must apply energy to set it in motion and more energy to keep it in motion. But how do born-again Christians relate to family members caught up in gay pride? Do we become Bible thumpers screaming at the tops of our lungs, you're going to hell? God forbid. Or worse, do we condone the sin and tell them it's okay? God understands. After all, he made you this way. A loving God won't send you to hell for that. When we condone sin, we're lying to people. 
we condone sin when we simply say nothing. Slide three, please. Romans 6. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. If you continue in your sin, you do not have new life. Life in Christ is not only a new life, it is a pure life, a life that has left sin in its rearview mirror. Carnal Christians are those who have not left their sin behind. The bottom line of what Cumberlands will be voting on in March is whether or not to allow carnal Christians to assume leadership roles in the Cumberland Church. Those who continue in sexual sin have not entered this new life of Christ. Chuck Swindoll. You cannot get around it. Whatever interpretation you choose, there is alienation connected with sexual sin that does not apply to other categories of sin. Sexual sin has an awful consequence on the body to a greater degree than any other type of sin. All sin alienates us from God, damages, injures, and defiles us in many ways. But there is something particularly disgraceful, shameful, and scarring about sexual sin. It affects the mind as no other sin does. End quote. And why is this? Because St. Paul tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Most High God. And sexual sin, because it defiles his temple, is something he loathes. But we are that temple. We wouldn't let anyone desecrate this church building. We've gone to great lengths to try to find this boy racer who spins donuts in our parking lot trying to throw gravel up on our church. If somebody came in here and trashed the inside of this church, we'd prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. Why? Because this is God's house. This place is holy because God meets us here. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has said, everyone we meet in the course of a day is an eternal being. In other words, everyone we meet is headed either to heaven or to hell. And I quote, All day long we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities and with circumspect awe that we should conduct all our dealings with one another all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked 
to a mere mortal. Every person you pass in the aisles of Walmart or Safeway is on their way to either heaven or hell. In your spirit, you can see that some of them are already engulfed in flames. A spontaneous combustion of sin. Will you try to warn them? Will you try to help? Or will you say and do nothing? And what about those who will be gathered around your Thanksgiving table this year? Or the next birthday celebration? They too are on their way either to heaven or to hell. What will you say? What will you do? So if you condone their sin, if you turn a blind eye and you say nothing, to which destination are you helping them? But how do we reach those we love, our friends, neighbors? How do we reach them with the truth of God? You pray. And then you pray some more. You pray for the opportunity, for God to give you an opportunity to speak the truth of Christ into their lives. You pray with the same travail with which Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not many of us have prayed until we've sweat blood. You pray and then you simply live what you believe. You don't waver. You don't cower. You don't make excuses. You just simply live what you believe. Nothing you can say will speak louder. Amy Grant is considered by a lot of people to be an iconic Christian. But she's taken a lot of criticism from evangelicals in particular for hosting a gay wedding for her niece. She answered these criticisms by saying, all are welcome at Christ's table. Okay, which table are we talking about? There's only one table I'm aware of in Scripture. And that's the one table in heaven where the redeemed will be gathered. And that will be the wedding feast of the Lamb. But Scripture is clear. There are those who will not be welcomed at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Nor will they be found anywhere in the kingdom of God. Slide 4. 1 Corinthians 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Take note. The word homosexuality is not underlined. There are no parentheses, no asterisks, no emphasis. It's simply included as part of the long list of those who do wrong. 
and will not be found in the kingdom of heaven. But now some of you are thinking, hey, I thought this sermon series was on Hebrews. I haven't forgotten you. All good things come to those who wait. Let me introduce you to my favorite verses in the book of Hebrews. Slide five, please. Hebrews chapter two, verses nine and 10. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer, some translations say the captain, of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Underline that. Perfect for what he suffered. So if it pleased Father God to make Jesus perfect through suffering, you won't have to carry a cross. Really. But why has Father God chosen to make us perfect through suffering? Why can't we take a pill for that? Why can't we take a weekend crash course on holiness? Why suffering? Because real suffering affects us body, soul, and spirit. And either we turn to God or we become very bitter. The purer the gold, the more it has been refined. And because suffering always precedes glory. Put that on your refrigerator door. Suffering always precedes glory. Perfect through suffering. The God in the God-man was and is and will always be perfect. Therefore, God determined to make the man in the God-man perfect through suffering. Why? I've told you this before. So you and I can never say, Lord Jesus, you don't understand. You just don't understand. You don't understand how hard this is, how impossibly painful this is. This rift in my family, these children of mine who remain so aloof to you, so aloof to me because I follow you. St. Paul said we see through a glass darkly. In other words, when we look at God, we are looking through smoked glass. We see only a dim reflection of who God is. We struggle to comprehend the character of God. In the Greek, that word character is karaktos. It means like the signet ring of a king. When he sealed a decree, they would pour candle wax to seal 
up the scroll and he would put his signet ring into it. What he embossed on that seal was an exact representation of the ring on his finger. That's God's character. You and I are to be an exact representation of his character. God by his very nature demands justice and righteousness or he is not God at all. Slide six, please. Romans 1, verses 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. People who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There's a sin we are all guilty of. There's a sin we all tend to perpetuate but most of us are oblivious to it. We have no idea how insidious this sin is. It's a silent killer. It's a cancer of the soul. It is secretly buried in the deepest recesses of our hearts. What sin is this? We have recreated God in our own image. Recreated a God who thinks like we think. We've dumbed down our perception of God. We've made him just as fickle, moody, ill-tempered, and dispassionate as we are. And our culture has been so at the ready to help us in this endeavor. They say, you need to deconstruct your faith. You need a God you can bring down to your own level, a God you can understand. Bring him down to your level of mediocrity and self-loathing. Our culture has no perception of a God who completely transcends our idea of holiness. Slide seven. Revelation 2. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Make no mistake, Tucson is a city where Satan has his throne. If you don't think so, read the police reports. And we have wolves among the sheep who are false teachers 
We have many churches in this town who do not preach the truth of Christ. They do not preach against sin. They do not preach against hell. Just be a good person. Just be like Jesus. Slide 8, please. Verse 15. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Slide 9. Chuck Swindoll. If you haven't listened to any part of this sermon, listen now. The church at Pergamum was being weakened by compromise in spite of its loyalty to Christ. So often we don't recognize compromise. Compromise never occurs quickly. It's a slow journey. It's so slow and easy that it just comes naturally. When you compromise, you will rarely offend anybody. As a matter of fact, the world will love you for it. Amy Grant. Lincoln Honors. Almost everybody in rock and roll has been honored at Lincoln Honors. Why Amy Grant? Oh, we loved your soft take on Jesus. Compromise, however, always lowers the original standard. Our standard of holiness is Scripture. And compromise always goes below that standard. It never takes you above it. And as a result, compromise is often the first step toward total disobedience. Slide 10. Here's the good news. To everyone who is victorious. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. The Lord Jesus will place around your neck a necklace with a white stone. And engraved on this stone will be your new name by which everyone in his millennial kingdom will know you. This new name will affirm every character trait, every divine attribute, every gifting with which the Lord Jesus created you, that which he ordained for you before time began, and all for his glory, and your eternal gratitude.
Can I hear an amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, keep us true. Keep us centered in your will, in your word. Remind us, Father, every day your word is life. We have no life without your word. We have no hope without your word. And worst of all, we have no joy without your word. Wash us in the water of your word and we will be whiter than snow. Make it so, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you all. Yeah.
Christ. 